So Genesis 37. So um, we spent the previous two weeks looking more broadly at the story of Joseph. Uh, and, and mostly that the story of Joseph is a microcosm of the broader biblical story of exile and exaltation. Um, and so uh, we, we, we were up, up in the sky and then we came down a little lower, saw the whole story of Joseph. And now we want to do, do more verse by verse going through, through Genesis 37. Um, this is the final section of Genesis. Now, if we've been in Genesis for a long time. I think I was still in seminary when we were in Genesis um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. But um, um, this is it. This is the last section of Genesis. And uh, this is also one of the longest sections of Genesis. We'll see, we'll see this here in a second. If, if you define it by the 11 sections that you can, you can divide Genesis into, this is clearly the longest section. Uh, Isaac is quite short in terms of the patriarchs, but this is significantly long. And if you want to be technical about it, it's really part of the Jacob story because it ends with Jacob blessing his sons. Um, but uh, but we, we usually consider this uh, Joseph's story. Well, we're introduced to, to uh, little Joe, to quote Veggie Tales, um, in these first four verses. Uh, uh, and I don't know, I doubt we'll get through this whole chapter, but we need to, but it ain't going to happen. Let's just be honest. Uh, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zippah, his father's wives. Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. There's a lot going on just in these four verses. Hopefully we'll make it out of them. But there is a lot, lot going on here. Um, let me grab the little clicker here. Um, one, notice that uh, verse 1 introduces us to a new section of Scripture, right? So um, although chapters of your Bibles were added later uh, and verses were added later than that, the Bible does at times uh, tell you when there's a transition in the narrative, and, and Moses does that in Genesis uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, and, and, and what we're doing initially right here is we are starting a section while bridging the previous section. So, for example, compare verse 1 there with uh, the previous chapter. You remember uh, a while ago, we looked at Genesis 36, and, and it's a pretty tough chapter to get through. It's a genealogical passage, and it's got a lot of details that are geographical. Like they went here and did this and all that. So it was just tough to get through with Esau. But notice the contrast. These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took wives from the Canaanites, right? And that opened up the narrative. What is it that, that, that you see something similar here? Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. Well, not Esau. Esau went towards Edom, the Midianites, whereas uh, Jacob, or here Joseph, uh, and, and of course we'll get to Joseph, but Jacob stayed in, 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 in the land of his sojourns. Now, we, we talked a lot about the word sojourning, that because of the fall, we are all exiles. But because of grace, we've become sojourners. This isn't our home. The temptation of exiles is to turn your exile into your permanent lodging place. And we are more like the patriarchs where God has made us a promise and we've not, we've not received that land yet. And so here, Jacob is described as a sojourner. That's what he is. He um, doesn't own much, much property here. 
Now, he is in the promised land. Now, um, we don't have time to get into all this. This is free. This is from Bodhi Bauckham, by the way. Uh, three major themes in Genesis is land, seed, and covenants. Um, and here you see a reference to lands. Jacob is in the land of Canaan. But what is the story of Joseph about? It's about how the seed of Abraham laves the, uh, I don't know, that's, that's not even Eastern Kentucky, laves, leaves the land of Canaan for Egypt, right? So, so the whole story of Genesis has been building up to God is blessing his people. They're going to be fruitful, multiply. Here are now 12 sons. Jacob didn't have a problem having kids. He's got 12 of them plus a daughter. So you have seed. You have land. Abraham bought land. Jacob is finally dwelling as a sojourner. And, and, and so you're getting all these promises. And then what happens to the story of Joseph? They leave it all behind. Right? And so the Genesis ends with, with, with uh, the experiment failed. God didn't fulfill his promises. But the story begins making you think God is fulfilling those promises. Jacob is a sojourner in the land of promise. By the way, let me tell you how, you know, everything was ruined after that, right? Um, now, um, uh, notice verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, I've, I've shown this to you uh, several times before, um, but that language... Um, is, is important. These are the generations of whatever. That phrase is found 11 times in Genesis. We, here's one of them, right? This is the 10th time. Genesis 37 is the 11th time. This is known as a toledot. It's the Hebrew word for generations. It's a unique phrase that you'll see throughout, throughout Genesis. So if you want to see them, here, here, here you go. Uh, by the way, notice that the first, first time the word is used is in the creation narrative of Genesis 2 about the heavens and the earth. Because that is itself its, its, its own narrative unit. And then you get it with the story of Noah, right? After the sons of God, daughters of men, and all that. And then you're going to get it with the sons of Noah, remember, land, seed, and covenant. Then you're going to get it uh, with uh, Sham, right? It's where we get the Semites, the Shemites. So, so, so you're going to go from Noah to, the, to Sham to eventually Abraham, right? And, and, of course, you see there, you're going to go from Sham to Terah, um, and from Terah, is, you're going to get the story of Abraham. Well, what is it that you get there? You get Ishmael and Isaac. And we just saw uh, in chapter 36, you get Esau, and now you get Jacob. And these are narrative units to say we are, we, we, we are transitioning. So whatever follows that phrase is itself, in the in writer's mind, a narrative section. So because this phrase is found nowhere else in Genesis, what happens in Genesis 37 too? all the way to the end of chapter 50, is itself one narrative unit. That's why we can pause and look at the story as a whole. Now, right now, we're, we're, we're digging out all the little goodies. But just like any other narrative, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, chapters 37 to, to 50. That's free. You do with that whatever it is, is that you want. But, but I, I, I do find that, that stuff sort of, sort of fascinating. But these are the generations of... Of Joseph. Now, notice in these four verses, we learn a few things about Joseph. The first thing we learn is, is that uh, Jacob is a sojourner, but we also notice that in verse 2, Joseph is a shepherd. He's a shepherd. Now, when, when I say that, we automatically think the Bible talks about shepherding, but if, if you don't mind, let's think we've only read Genesis and we've only made it this far, okay? So that's impossible to do. I get that. 
you can never read the Lord of the Rings for the first time again in your life. And isn't that an awful thing, right? You'll never get that experience again. But let's pretend like we're doing that with Genesis. Um, the the uh, shepherds are all over Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they're all shepherds, right? Um, Cain and Abel, you, you, you get the first shepherds, okay? Well, however, if you read the stories, when you see a shepherd, something bad's gonna happen. Shepherds can't seem to get along with anybody in Genesis. So you gotta take the David imagery of Psalm 23 that we just discussed a few weeks ago. You gotta take that out of your head for a minute and think, every time I see a shepherd, something bad's gonna happen. Think about it. Cain and Abel, one of them's a shepherd. Abraham, that's a lot of messes in there. Jacob and Esau, Isaac and, and, and uh, Ishmael, right? All shepherds. You remember the issues Isaac had with the other shepherds? He's, he, 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 he digs a well and they come fill it up. Those are all shepherds competing with each other. So, so we're getting this little detail. Joseph, one of his random sons, we've not hardly met. You just need to know, dear reader, he's a shepherd. Oh boy. Oh boy, this ain't, this ain't gonna be good. Not only that, but we see in verse two, I think we talked about this a little bit last week. My text says he was a boy with the sons of Jacob. Uh, uh, we, we talked about the better translation, probably lad, I think some of your translations say. And remember that the idea is that it, in the hierarchy of the family, he was at the bottom. Now, his father, we learn next, and this is the other thing, is even though he's at the bottom of the hierarchy of the brothers, he's at the top of his father's hierarchy. So what you have is one that has earned nothing but has gained everything, right? This creates problems, doesn't it, right? Think about it. In your place of employment, someone gets promoted over you. Does that bother you? You bet you sweet bippy it does because you feel like someone beneath you, you know, not, not in the ontological sense, but someone who, who, who hasn't worked as hard as you, hasn't worked as long as you, hasn't earned what you have, that should be your promotion. They went over you. Now, so now you have the guy who, who the brothers say, oh, that's this little Joe. The brothers are, are older because Jacob has him in, in, in later years with his favorite wife, right? That's a sentence you should never have to say. And, and so, so, so here is the little guy who, who hasn't been around as long. He hasn't worked as hard, hasn't really earned anything. Dad loves him more than the rest of us. He hasn't earned it, All right? Now, let me just add here, as the youngest of a family, if you're the oldest child or one of the older childs, I think y'all overplay a lot of this stuff, right? You do, you do. And it's because of your own insecurities or something. I don't know what it is, right? You, you just ask, mom didn't like him or me. No, you're just a terrible human being. Does that ever cross your mind, right? Anyway, so, so Joseph is treated or in the eyes of the brothers as, as little Joe who ain't done nothing. But in his dad's eyes, he, he's the cream of the crop. So again, here are two themes we get, right? Little guy who is, going to be, uh, who is going to be elevated, right? Already we get a hint of this because what's the story of Genesis? That's the story. It's Seth over Cain. It's Isaac over Ishmael. It's Abraham over his brothers. Um, it is Jacob over Esau. This is the pattern we see over and over again. So we've, we, we've been trained to look for this. Oh, it's the little brother. Older brothers aren't going to like this. And then we discover dad likes him more than everyone else. Favoritism is a problem. 
It's a big problem. One of the first times we meet this isn't with a dad, it's with a mom. What did Sarah do when Isaac was born to Ishmael and her mom, his mom? It wasn't very pretty. Exiled, so you have a Hebrew with a Egyptian slave exiling them. Later, the story is of Egyptians with Hebrew slaves exiling them. And this is a pattern. So already we know in four verses, we are about to read a tragedy. We may not know how it's going to happen, but everything that comes is, is, is not good, right? So right at the beginning, the author is giving you a foreboding warning. This is not a happy story. Okay? Everything that happens here is going to be pretty bad. Now, we know that it's going to end on a happy note, but right away, we, we're, we're, we're drawn into a drama. A lot of bad things are, are going to happen. So you notice there, verse 4, um, that Joseph, who, who seems to be a bit of a snitch, right? Oh, let me... I'm going to tell you a story. I tease my daughter today. She's in a language arts class, right? And good grammar is important. So I support this. So I'm, this is an illustration with a little bit of levity, so don't take it too far. And she comes home. She goes, well, in, in our language arts class, um, anytime we do bad grammar, we lose a ticket or, and you earn tickets and you get, I, I don't know, all that sort of stuff. And, she, and then she goes, and our teacher said, if we hear someone in class using bad grammar, we should point it out. It's like, oh, teacher's telling you to be a snitch. Yeah? <laughs> the answer, yeah. <laughs> you know what happens in snitch, you know? And, and so uh, it just goes right off of her head. She, she, poor kid, preacher's kid. But, but Joseph is that guy. He's tattling on his brothers. And as we'll see in a minute, uh, Jacob sends him out to track down his brothers to go uh, to find out what they're up to and bring it back to dad. He's kind of a snitch. Not a good guy. Arrogant guy, too. Uh, very, very entitled and everything else. And you'll notice there, verse four, his brothers hated him. That is strong language. Hate. Hated him. Hate will always lead to violence. Why our nation can't figure out that there is no unity or peace that comes from hate. And we are feeding hate. For one, we're trying to profit off of it. Um, but why we feed and encourage hate is, is beyond me. So, so we get all this in the first four verses. We know something bad's going to happen to Joe. Just going to. We've, we've been primed for all this uh, so far. Well, verse three, we meet the most iconic image, perhaps, in all of Genesis, next to the rainbow. It is, of course, the coat of many colors. Does anyone have a different translation there? Richly ornamented robe. What translation is that? NIV. NIV, okay, ornamented. Oh, Someone's from Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> Dot, what you got? <laughs> oh, oh, Eugene, tunic, tunic of colors. All right. Very colored. Very colored. Okay. Joseph's technique colored whatever, whatever that movie play, whatever it was. I don't know. Now I gave you a homework last week, and I know Don has already done it. Um, this phrase of a multicolored robe, tunic, coat, whatever, it's only used one other time in the Old Testament. And Don found it. I'll let you tell him how he found it. But um, anyone else find out where this else this is in the Bible? It's not Jesus. Although, all right, you're going to ruin the, the climax. It's not an accident, is it, that Jesus is robed in purple and stripped? 
Isn't that interesting? Neat little detail, ain't it? And he is the son of Joseph. Huh, that's right. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Well, there goes my climax. It's just all downhill from here, right? But code of many colors. Any ideas where else, where else you meet one? It is, uh, we actually looked at this uh, last year. 2 Samuel 13 is the rape of Tamar. It is her robe, this long, uh, italics, long robe with sleeves. That is what is ripped in the sexual assault. You would never guess there, would you? Now, think about how we understand the Bible, that the Bible will make hyperlinks to itself to, to say that, okay, this phrase is unique, therefore I'm going to use it so that you will go over there to it, right? So, so what do we have here? We, 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 have, we have a brother, and over here we have a sister. Both are victims of violence. Now, the uh, brothers of Joseph just hate him, um, but here the half-brother of Tamar claims he loves her. But if you keep reading the story, what happens after the rape? She says, um, now that this is done, I need you to marry me because of, because of that sort of culture. And you remember, remember what it says? After the rape, he hated her. Isn't that incredible? What, what, notice what the author's doing here. Yeah. So, so these robes, which are, which are uh, uh, tunics of honor, tunics of, of, of high praise. I mean, this is a princess over here. And this is a guy that's treated with royalty in Joseph. And symbolically, that is ripped away from them because of human hate, human violence, human envy, covetousness. Because Joseph has what the brothers want, which makes sense because their mothers are like that. Rachel wanted what Leah had, uh, which was children. Leah wanted what Rachel had, which is love. And they, they, they just pulled and everything else from each other because of idolatry. What happens is their sons end up doing the same thing, the Joseph. In fact, notice the text. I can prove this to you. Notice there, verse 2. These are generation Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was passionate of flocks with his brothers. He was the boy with the sons of the, of the, maid, of, of, of the servant girls. You see what the author's doing? You see what he's doing? Go back and read the story. Who are these guys? Who are their mothers? Why are servant women, slaves, a, uh, mothers? Why are they in the story? Well, because Jacob is like Abraham. Guess what Abraham did with, with, with uh, uh, Hagar? Jacob's repeating that story. And what happens now you have the next generation is, is because sin was never addressed. It's just going to pass on. The next generation, what happens is we make victims of each other. We oppress each other the point that they are going to throw him to a pit to leave him to die until they decide to sell him into slavery. Literal injustice and oppression. And generations later, the son of David who himself took a woman that was not his has a son who takes a woman who was not his. And the image of the multicolored robe is used so that we see this connection. What's changed? You've heard me say before, humans are good at changing our outside. We have technology, we have medical advances. We have not done anything to change the inside. We're still as corrupt as ever. And we could tell this story of Tamar or this story of Joseph a million times in this city today. It's, this, it's on repeat constantly. It's a broken record and yet we, we never reset it. It's amazing, isn't it? How, how, it's almost like God wrote the Bible.
but that would be silly. Um, but this is clearly a robe of prominence in Jacob's family. Noah, the, the brothers, as far as we know, have this. This is a unique gift that he is given, which gives him an, an, an aura of, of importance and whatnot. Well, those first four verses, let's look real quickly at verses 5 through 11. At least want to get, get through these. Now, Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So, so notice it's hate upon hate. So, so we're really building to, to a climax of what they're going to do. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Um, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, by the way, notice brothers are in the first one. His father is in the second one, okay, in terms of the audience. So, so, so he's, he's ratcheting up the interpretation, right? It's a smaller group. Now it's a larger group. Um, his father rebuked him and said uh, to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. There's that word. That's the Rachel and Leah story. It's envy. It's jealousy. But his father kept, saying, kept the saying in his mind. There's a whole lot going on here. By the way, let me just add a, a brief word that dreams are all over the Bible. And... Um, Protestant cessationists that we don't we believe that the, the the canon of scripture is closed and all that we struggle with this because does God still speak through dreams I'm not going to chase that rabbit but dreams are all over uh, the Bible um, in Genesis Genesis 20 remember God spoke to Abimelech a pagan king and and it was to uh, condemn the actions of Abraham so you have a righteous man being uh, condemned by a pagan whom God spoke to so God protected the the, the pagan king Abimelech. Uh, remember, Isaac does something similar later. Gideon, remember, a man gives a Gideon a, a dream in, in, in Judges 7. Um, and then, uh, remember, we get this phrase, Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by prophets. We can't chase what an Urim is. Um, but the implication is, and we get from elsewhere, God regularly spoke to Saul in dreams. And it was understood that the, the bridge between the king and the divine was, was very small. Right, and that the divine would speak to kings. That's why you anoint kings. There's a religious role that goes into the realm of, of, of royalty. Uh, after all, the Egyptians and others thought their, their kings were divine. They were gods. Uh, the Romans even believed some of that. Um, remember Solomon? Right, we just looked at this. 1 Kings 3, uh, Solomon had a dream, and that's when he, you know, uh, he asked, you know, what, what is it that, that you want? Name, name one thing for me. And uh, so, so these are found throughout. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, God sent him a terrible dream. Joseph, the father of Jesus, was warned in a dream. Um, Pilate's wife was warned. Remember the dream. Don't have anything to do with that Jesus dude. Uh, you do with this information whatever you want. But, but often we think of dreams, we, we think of Joseph and Daniel. Um, and really, they're, they're all over the place. Uh, and the prophets get visions and, and all, all that sort of stuff. Well, in the Joseph narrative, where there's a lot of dreams, they always come in pairs. So here you see these are two separate, two separate dreams with one interpretation. Next, we'll get um, two dreams with two interpretations. This is uh, when he's in prison. And, you know, uh, you, you're going to be lifted up. 
That is, you're going to be elevated. The other is your head's going to be lifted off, right? You're going to be executed. But two dreams with two interpretations. Later, Pharaoh will have two dreams with one interpretation. So, so it's an inclusio. Uh, we're introduced to the idea of dreams with, in pairs, and it concludes with the same sort of pattern. Right? Uh, and so this is really setting the stage for that. So two dreams. Verse 7 8, uh, gathering wheat in the field. His wheat stood up. His brother's wheats bowed down, right? And they pick up pretty quickly the interpretation, right? I don't know about you. You cannot interpret my dreams. Actually, can I, can I interpret my dreams for you? Whatever happens in the dream, the opposite happens. Let me tell you why I think that. Now, I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek. Don't think I've, I've turned Pentecostal. I, I'm convinced of this because when I was in high school, before I, before I met my wife, I had a dream that I would ask her out. She'd say yes. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. I asked her out, and she said I don't know. Now, I was a young pup, but I knew well enough, honey, I ain't playing those games, right? Because what she wanted was, was to play hard to get and want me to chase. I ain't got time for that, right? You want to make this work or not, right? I ain't doing this. So I got the, I don't know. That's worse than no. I'm gone, right? I didn't get that with my wife, right? You know, she knew better, right? And so, um, um, but uh, uh, so ever since then, I've joked that whatever happens in the dream, the opposite's going to happen, right? So I don't have to worry about falling from the sky, right? Because I've had that dream a thousand times. That'll never happen to me now, right? Um, but nevertheless, uh, uh, here he gets these two dreams. The first interpretation is clear. The second interpretation is equally clear now with his father and mother there. But I want you to notice a phrase in verses 9 through 11. The sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down to him. Now, where in the Bible, previously, do we find the phrase sun, moon, and stars? Creation. Creation. Now, I mean, we could chase this rabbit if you want to. The sun, moon, and stars play a significant role in the creation account. By the way, if you listen to the latest project, uh, Bible project, they talked about this. Because it's sun and moon, you have a contrast. It's light by day, light by night, Okay. And then the stars are added. That was his point, because he does the same with sea monsters. Um, here, Joseph says there's only 11 stars. Well, there's only 12 brothers. So there's 11 other brothers, Joseph. So they pick up on the imagery. But the sun, moon, and stars in ancient literature, they are the hosts of heaven. And so the language of the cosmos is often attached to like pagan royalty, and this is throughout the Bible, right? Throughout the Bible, and particularly throughout um, um, the ancient world. So you'll see kings and pharaohs with the moon over their head. You worship the sun god Ra, right? We'll meet someone of that name. Uh, um, um, oh, Potiphar. Gosh, I almost said Pontius Pilate. It's Potiphar, right? It comes from the, the, the sun god Ra. Yeah. Yeah, he has 11 brothers. Well, Benjamin's not born yet. Yeah. Well, Benjamin, Benjamin's coming, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's astounding, isn't it? So, so he's not just claiming, hey, here's some illustrations, right? Some moon stars. He's really claiming for himself royalty. He's the lad of the family. He's a nobody. And he's walking around. He's 17, Right? Remember when you were 17, you thought you already had it solved, didn't you? You know what the world needs is more me's when you're 17, right? Your generation 
thought you were going to fix your parents. All the messes your parents made, you were going to fix it, didn't you? Guess what my generation still thinks? Same thing, right? Guess what my kid's generation thinks, right? You're a fool when you're 17 years old. Here's Joe going around. Hey, gosh, you won't believe this. I'm the king. And the first people to bow down to me, y'all, you want to boink them in the eyes, don't you? Right? Now, in the story of Joseph, we see real character development that is a good storytelling because the man he is here is not the man he will be there, but he has to go through the pit. He has to go through the process of death and resurrection. Now, we talked about that with exile, that when he's thrown into the pit, the word pit is used of the grave, and that's what Jacob interprets it as. Remember that there's no water in the cistern, so he can't survive. And he goes into Egypt, he goes into the pit, prison. uh, Joseph uses the word of a pit. He goes into the grave, but he is raised out of the grave and he is re-robed, right? Pharaoh puts a robe on him and now he's a different person. It's the story of resurrection. So spoiler alert, let me ruin my climax. It's Jesus. Now, Jesus is already perfect before and after, but he goes into the pit and triumphs in our place so that in Revelation, what happens to the martyrs? They are robed, but it's dipped in blood. It's colored. It's just fantastic to see see this stuff. Well, um, uh, he has his dreams and they they don't much like it. Uh, By the way, I think I have, yeah, Genesis 1.16, he made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night. Here's what Bible Project. Oh, we're going to add this phrase, and the stars. It kind of ruins the flow of the text, doesn't it? Because there's two great lights, the sun in the day, the moon at night. Oh, yeah, there's stars, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's where Bible Project is going. Is the, this, he, he compares the sea, the sea monsters, right? They're, they're, they're down there. And you have the stars, they're up there, and they all represent chaos, right? And that takes us down a rabbit trail that you're going to turn into a bobblehead and be lost. But yes, Bible Project, that really helpful. They're doing a whole series on dragons in the Bible. Um, so, so, but it's interesting, of all the dreams in the Joseph story, there are six, these two are never interpreted, the reader, not to mention his brothers and his family, already know the interpretation. So they are interpreted, yes, but Joseph doesn't interpret them. The dream itself is pretty self-explanatory. Don't you love how Joseph has no ability to read a room? Don't you love that? No to read a room? Yeah, like he's 17, he tells the first dream, you're thinking, yeah, it's just, he's a young pup, he'll learn that. Nope. <laughs> Did no one send him a text that that was inappropriate? <laughs> it's, just, just, it's like what we talked about on Proverbs 8, right? Uh, wisdom, with wisdom comes knowledge, right? It's a good thing to know you had this dream and what it means. Doesn't mean you need to share it, <laughs> right? Knowledge is the know. Wisdom knows when to say it and what to do with it. And uh, Joseph lacks the wisdom. What's that? To share the dream? Right, yes. Yes, it's prophetic that they're not ready to accept. All of, and the reason they're not ready to accept God's revelation is because hate in their hearts. Yes, that's true. If, if we want to be spiritual, yes, that is true. But I like making fun of teenagers because I, I, I got two youth in the house. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Estate workers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Y'all know I coach, and I'm coaching the high school team. Every practice, I'll, I'll essentially say the same thing: is is I'll say we need to do X, and they won't do X either because they weren't paying a lick attention to what I was saying, or because they think they know better. I'm always having to say, <laughs> guys, is it possible that I am twice your age? And I know a little bit more about soccer than you. And the advantage I have is I'm not your age, right? Because, because I was that dumb when I, when I played in high school, right? Oh, frustrates me, frustrates me. Yeah, but coach, what if, what if? No. I, I gave you an example yesterday, yesterday practice. Our last practice for our first game, okay? And we've got a tough opponent tomorrow, is we're working on corner kicks. You don't know how it is? Pretend like you do. And I said, so I have kickers down yonder, and I have the guys who are going to try to put in the net here, okay? So, so I'm trying to try out who's best at kicking corner kicks, who is best inside the box, defensively and offensively, all that sort of stuff, okay? It's practice. And I said, guys kicking the ball, I want the ball right here in this area. Here is why. You put it here, goalkeeper come get it. Put it out there, we risk a fast break, they're going to score against us. This is the sweet spot. Kick it here. That's pretty much the way I put it. It's not unclear what I wanted. Kick it here. Two minutes into this, I'm like, guys, why aren't you kicking it where I put it? Well, well, I was trying to see who's open. <laughs> no point did I say, get it to someone who's open. Because the ball has to travel uh, 20 yards or something. And by the, if they were open when you kicked it, they're not open when, when the ball arrives. You don't, you don't know who, who already knew that? The head coach knew that. There's a sweet spot. I know you don't care about soccer, but it's, it's, it's every sport, right? So I, I want to stop there. Uh, we've already looked at some of the climax with Jesus, and we, we can do some others and some application stuff. Um, what where we pick up, Lord willing, next week, verses 12 to 36, is when they throw him into the pit. Uh, and there's a lot of, lot of good stuff there. The Joseph story is full of riches, full of riches. I, I, I'm really enjoying it so far, and I, and I think you will too. Danny, did, did we miss anything? Yeah. Oh, we did? What did we miss? Yeah, he's a terrible father, yeah. He, he has a favorite son, and the man married four women. <laughs> he's got a favorite wife. Yeah. There was nothing... There was nothing in that family but chaos. And you look at his sons, what they did later years. I mean, why? You know, you've got to learn. He needs some family counseling. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Mother's Day. First Mother's Day, my, my wife had just become a mother the year prior. Perfect. So Father's Day, I'm like, I'm going to choose another good father in the Bible. Couldn't find one. <laughs> you find them for me. Hey, you could do Boaz, something like that. God the Father. Okay, I get it. Okay, Joseph, the, the father of Jesus. Yes, go find one. I ended up doing David about how bad of a father he was. That's what I was left with. And I did the end of his life when he was dying, giving final words of advice to his son. That's, the best, that's really what I came up with. Um, actually, when, when we were going through uh, the story of David, I actually went back to the old sermon. My goodness, that was awful. But, um, but you're not going to find a lot of good fathers in the Bible. They're all a mess. And, and this is what we're going through here in society. Now, we have absent fathers. We, we have some poor fathering today. And fathers make the difference in a child's life across the board. And so you read Genesis and it's just screaming off the page, dads matter. They matter when they're present and when they're not present. And by Jacob not loving one wife, but loving the other wives, that affects his kids. And by loving one of the brothers more than the other, it's going to affect them. And, and he, he creates a mess. Now, they are accountable for what they do to Joseph, yes. But Jacob created an environment that encouraged this sort of behavior. And that's not acceptable. So, so he does bear some responsibility. So. Aren't you glad? Man, you know, we read the Bible, we think, man, I'm so glad we're not like that. But no, we, we read it, and man, I can be Jacob. I can be like his brothers. You know? So anything else? I think we're going to enjoy the Joseph story. I am. You know, feel sorry for y'all if you don't, but I'm going to enjoy it. It's really good. Yeah. Yes. So, so you can do what you do in Genesis. You can do it first and second Samuel is, is you see the same pattern of, so Samuel is a repeat of Eli. So Eli has two sons, right? And, and then Samuel has his sons, right? And of course they're a repeat of Aaron who has the two sons. And that's a repeat of Adam, right? So because you remember Adam has three sons and then Noah has three sons. And you have this clash all the time. At least one of them is going to be pretty messed up. Um, so you, you get Eli, you get Samuel. There's the issue of Saul. He has one righteous son, but because of Saul's actions, his son dies as a result. Then you get David. What's his story? It's a story of Jacob. He's a distant father. He's not absent. He's absent-minded. He's very distant. And, and he's, a, he's cowardly. It's interesting with David. I think we talked about this when we went through his biography. David is, is bold and brave on the battlefield. He's a coward in the home. That is one thing we need to learn. So I don't know. We're going to go this direction. Thanks, Danny and Don. Um, one of the best benefits a wife can give her husband is, is, to, is to give him a place of peace and rest, an oasis the way I usually describe it, an oasis because men don't want to fight wars at home. It's the one place men do not want to fight. And you think about it, men have limited options in the home. They can become physical because men are more aggressive and they're physical when they're aggressive. Well, you, you can't do that. Can't do that. What other option does a man have? Well, he can pull away which only encourages a bad situation. Lady, do you think that also the reason men don't want to get involved is because they're afraid they'll go too far? They'd it, rather just stay away from it, but 
because once they get started on discipline, they might not know when to quit because that brings about an angry emotion. Oh, yeah. If, 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 yeah, for some men, yes, yes. Or if, if they felt like if they're trying to avoid the mistakes of their father, uh, I've seen that. Dad was really hard on me. I can't do that with my kids. Yeah, there is some there. There is some wisdom in that. There is there's some. Now it also needs to be, why are you angry? Like so so they do something bad. Yeah, there's a, there's a righteous anger there. Yes, that that is good. But is your motivation behind anger something that is unrighteous? You 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 you've brought shame upon me, you know, in front of my coworkers, or you didn't perform on the field, or. You embarrassed me, or you know, if if, if it's some, if it's an unrighteous reason, then we need to talk about why you're angry, not just that you're holding it off, because you're always going to be holding it off. The other thing I've noticed with a teenage boy, you can't do anything right anyway. Yeah. You're always wrong. Yeah. Um, yes, because well, if you remember, Don.